Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. God is still rolling stones, and God is also still giving us second chances, right? That is the resurrection, right? Amen, amen, amen. So uh, we are in, we are completing today our series called Legacy. We have spent Lent uh, looking at the legacies that we inherit and the legacies that we pass on, because we all have legacies. It does not matter um, who you are. You have something that you have received, and you have something to pass on. And so we are celebrating that, we are naming those, and we are being intentional about those. And today we are talking about that great indestructible legacy that we are all inheritors of. And to do that, we're going to hear two passages, one that's continuing on in our journey through the Bible that comes from Second Chronicles, and then one that calls to mind the Easter story from John chapter 2. So hear now the word of the Lord. Solomon stood before the Lord's altar in front of the entire Israelite assembly and spread out his hands. Now Solomon made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high. And he set it in the middle of the enclosure. He stood on it. Then kneeling before the whole assembly of Israel and spreading his hands toward the sky, he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You keep the covenant and show loyalty to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. This is the covenant you kept with your servant David, my father, which you promised him. Today you have fulfilled what you have promised. So now, Lord God of Israel, keep what you promised my father David, your servant, when you said to him, you will never fail to have a successor sitting on Israel's throne as long as your descendants carefully walk according to my instruction, just as you have walked before me. So now, Lord God of Israel, may your promise to your servant David come true. But how could God possibly live on earth with people if heaven, even highest heaven, can't contain you? How can this temple that I have built contain you? Lord my God, listen to your servant's prayer and request and hear the cry and prayer that I, your servant, pray to you. Constantly watch over this temple, the place where you promised to put your name, and listen to the prayer your servant is praying concerning this place. Listen to the request of your servant and your people Israel when they pray concerning this place. Listen from your heavenly dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged the currency. He said to the dove sellers, Get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, Passion for your house consumes me. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. 
The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes, and let us see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at a video. Johnny Haney is going to share some of our legacy here at this church. After the fire of 1891, a new building was constructed using the west wall of that um, second building that had burned. And in the third building, there was a beautiful uh, pipe organ. But up in the pulpit area was this pulpit from the building that was finished about 1900. Uh, we got a great picture of uh, the Reverend Egensberger, who was here in the mid-40s, standing behind this pulpit on what we think was Easter Sunday with the choir behind him and the pipe organ behind him. So you can really see it, it, it really is this pulpit that was in our third building and somehow was saved after that building was torn down to build our current facility. Uh, when Ben Hines was our minister in the early 80s, Ben unearthed this pitcher and this goblet. There were actually two goblets. I don't know what's happened to the other one. And the significance of this is it's one of the oldest objects we have. The significance is it's inscribed Bentonville Methodist Church, 1870. We don't know why it was wrapped in cloth under the, under the floor in a closet, but Ben found it and all through the 80s and much of the 90s, we used this flagon, as he liked to call it, uh, to bring in communion every Sunday. The second oldest are a couple of windowsills from the building of 1868. That would be 165 years ago. And that building built in 1868, there was a fire in 91, and the west wall of the building survived the fire. And that west wall of 1868 had a couple of windowsills that were retrieved and saved in a member's backyard. And these are two of the windowsills from that building of 1868. We think the oldest thing that our church has that's still here is the church bell up in our steeple. This is the fourth building the bell has been in. It originally came to Bentonville in 1856 when John Foster, um, a man, I guess he was the undertaker, but he was in the monument business here in Bentonville. He was the only guy that had a wagon that could carry something as heavy as the bell. And he drove it to Pierce City, Missouri. John Foster went there and picked up the bell and brought it back in 1856. It was going to be used for a municipal building here in Bentonville. That building never got built, and our church was being built in 1858, and the church acquired the bell and put it in the steeple. That first building was burned in the Civil War. The second building built in 1868, this bell went up in it. And it was in that building until the fire of 19, eight, uh, 1891. 
And after the fire, the third building was rebuilt and finished uh, about 1900, and this bell was in it. And then, of course, that third building was torn down to build the sanctuary we have today, almost 70 years ago. What a legacy we stand on. And actually, our legacy that we stand on dates even further back. The very first Methodist society that was formed in Benton County was formed in 1830. So we are coming up on 200 years of Methodism in Benton County in this area. It's a profound legacy that we stand on, and we have proof of that legacy still with us today, still around us. Solomon, when he is in this moment that I just read from Chronicles and is dedicating the temple, is laying claim to a similar legacy. This is the fulfillment of the promise that was made to his father David. God said to David, you will not build my temple, but your son Solomon will. And they did. They built the temple. And this moment that you just heard was Solomon dedicating the temple and celebrating that reality with God. And Solomon names some powerful hopes in that moment. Those hopes are that, that God will always have a successor to the throne, particularly in the line of David, that God will live and dwell among the people, and that God will watch over the temple and the people. And those are powerful hopes. But so deeply tied into that moment with the temple, they are also hopes that contain the possibility of missing the point. The temple is meant to be a means of connection to God, a place of faith and relationship building. But the temple instead became the center of the people's identity. It became what they thought represented God for them. And then that caused a crisis of their identity when the exile happened and the temple was destroyed for the first time. They lost a sense of who they were. That temple was then rebuilt, and that was the temple that Jesus was standing on overturning the tables. And the same confusion was happening again. Everything was centering around the temple, and Jesus said, you're missing the point. The temple that matters is God dwelling among you, God being in relationship with you. That's what matters. And so when Jesus says, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it, he is correcting that misunderstanding. Now, the truth is, we need those concrete realities to represent God. Otherwise, how are we possibly going to understand something so vast as God? So beyond our comprehension. I remember when I was in seminary, we had an assignment in which we had to, uh, it, was a, it was a full year-long course of systematic theology. And at the end of that course, we had to write a 30-page paper in which we explained the Christian faith. And when we started that journey, all of us thought, 30 pages, how am I going to write 30 pages? And then as we got to the end of that journey, we were like, 30 pages, how am I going to limit it to 30 pages? Because we realized to try to explain God, yeah, how do you do it? And so the physical things that are around us do represent those things that are beyond our comprehension and become important object lessons for us. 
And the temple is one of those. It is a home for God. It is the gathering place of the people. It shows us that God is with us and we are not alone. It represents that for us. But the point, as I said, is not the temple. The point is the hope in God and the relationship that we have with God and the relationship we build with each other. It's a tool and representation. It's not the point. So I want to look at those four things that were just highlighted in the video, and let's talk about what they represent about our faith for us. So a bell, a bell calls us to church. It calls us into this faith. But then it also sends us out to be the people of God out into the world. It also marks those important moments that we walk alongside one another through, like marriages and like deaths, but that God also walks alongside with us. It's a clarion call to remind us that God is with us in those spaces. The windowsills. When you peek over a windowsill, you're barely seeing. It's that, it's that representation of seeking and searching, trying to learn, asking questions, wanting understanding. That's what a windowsill represents for us. It's that diving into our souls and deepening our faith. Communion. The communion set represents gathering around the table, sharing in what is ordinary that becomes holy and extraordinary. But in the United Methodist Church, it also represents that all of us are invited to this table. There are no limits to who comes to this table. Everyone is welcome to it. This is a love that is for all, a salvation that is for all, a God that is for all, all times, all places, all people. And then this pulpit, which by the way, I have to say, when we got this pulpit out and I stood behind it, I said, this pulpit is Michelle-sized. They, in fact, even offered to put a little lectern up here. I said, no, (laughs) I finally have a pulpit that's my size, so leave it as it is. Um, But this pulpit and all pulpits represent the good news, the sharing of the story, and the foundation upon which all of our faith is built. Now, the question is, are these concrete things required for our faith? None of the four things that I have mentioned to you have been part of this church the entire time the church has existed. None of them have. Not even the bell. It may have gone up in the first building and been part of all four buildings. But the people called Methodist were gathered before that. Before there was a building, they were here. Some of them have been out of use. Some of them were lost. Some of them have changed and transformed their purpose. They have not always been here. They're not requirements of our faith. And yet... All the things they represent have kept happening throughout this time, throughout this history. We have welcomed and we have sent. We have done life together with each other and with God. We have questioned. We have been seeking. We have shared food and love with one another and extended the table to anyone who wanted to gather. We have been shaped by the story And the ordinary has been made holy. If the physical 
disappeared, the faith would remain. And we lay claim to that legacy. And we are also revealed that reality in the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of all of these things. And the point of all of them too. That God is with us throughout everything. This concrete reality of Jesus being with us for only a short time, only about 33 years, does not stop the power and eternal nature of the revelation of God. And that God will be real and with us forever. Jesus became the temple for us. Jesus showed us that God will always be with us. Which was true before they built the temple in Chronicles. God was in a tent dwelling among the people. God was always with us. And we are now the bearers of that legacy. Wherever we go, God is there as well. Easter teaches us that nothing can disrupt that. We're going to watch another video. This is Kate Schaefer. And she's going to share a little bit of her faith story. Listen for all the pieces of the faith that we have talked about that were represented in the bell and in the communion set, in the window sills. Um, listen for all of those things. I think the thing that was most special to me about being a Methodist is that when I married my husband, Greg, who's Jewish, um, and we attended Methodist churches, people accept, have always accepted Greg with open arms. I went to a school that was a um, private, faith-based school of another denomination, and I realized how different it was. Um, just being around kids that had other, of course, we all love God and we love Jesus, you know, that was common, but had really different ideas about sin, salvation, and things like that. Once you've had an experience with another way of understanding Christianity, mm -hmm. what sort of crystallized for you that was um, really key? What I love about being a Methodist, and I've heard Adam Hamilton talk about this a million times, it's like, the via media, you know, yeah. the, the middle path, and that we can all exist together. Um, and even though I know it's not technically something Wesley came up with, I love the quadrilateral because while we can b base it on experience and scripture, we have that, um, that personal testimony and the experience part of it. Like, what yeah, are you feeling? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think we're a good mix of like grace, um, theology, because I tend to be a head person, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I always want to be in my head and like dig down to the intellectual piece of whatever I'm studying or looking at. Right. But it's important to have the personal aspect too. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I love that about us, and that we have an open table. Yeah, I love in the Wesleyan Quadrilateral that we make space for, for those personal experiences they, that we have that sometimes can include things that we cannot explain, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that is, God is always going to be beyond our um, full comprehension. Yeah. So those moments that we can't explain. And we also value reason, yeah. which is the things that we can yeah. explain, right? Yeah, that right. we can reason through, that we can reflect on, that we can be thoughtful about, yeah. um, and, that, and that we can bring that to Scripture. That's been really powerful, watching people do that, reading through the Bible this mm -hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and giving them the permission to say, 
I read this Bible passage and I have a lot of questions. Yeah. What is your hope for Methodism going forth? We are in a challenging season. How do you hope? What, what's your hope for us? My hope for the UMC is that once we get over this period where like our brand just does not look good, <laughs> that we start to take in and grow because I think especially for the younger generation, mm -hmm. most of them want an inclusive place of worship. And I also want the church to continue to have like some different opinions. That's true. All are welcome. The the non-negotiable that we have in that is that you have to be welcoming mm -hmm. to come into this church. Yeah. And so I say, if a neo-Nazi walks into this church, they are welcome. The expectation is they turn around and welcome whoever comes in behind them, right. including if it's a black person. Yeah. You all are welcome. Yeah. You, you, that's, that's our, that's our non-negotiable, mm -hmm. that, we, that we have to stand on that. And hopefully, I'm with you, that means that there are always multiple voices at the table. So, Kate was not raised in this church. She has been raised in church. It didn't matter the building that was around her. What mattered was the faith that formed her. What mattered was the story that was shared with her. That's what mattered. And no matter where she's been, that faith has traveled with her nonetheless. Nothing takes that legacy. Nothing takes that legacy. Not exile. Not war that destroyed one of our buildings. Not fire that destroyed the next building. Not tornadoes. That wind is experiencing right now. You know, they're gathering and celebrating Easter Sunday today in Wynn, Arkansas without a functioning church building. The bells work. Well, all right then. So you can call the people, right? They are gathering. Denominational politics will not change that legacy. Nothing, not even death, will destroy that legacy. There is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is our hope. That is our legacy of hope. That is the hope that Solomon pointed to, that there would always be one sitting on the throne, offering salvation for all. That is the hope that God will always be with us and that God will walk alongside us through everything. That is the hope that we stand on. That's the hope that Solomon prayed for. That's the hope that God fulfilled. That's the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. 
FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.